Okay, let's look at our scripture that can be found on the back or on the um, screen. This is Jesus and the healing of the blind man. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seen. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, He is, it is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees asked, again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us, and they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? 
Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. The word of the Lord. Well, as you can see, I'm wearing reading glasses. Uh, My eyes are going bad. Uh, I went to the doctor and he said, you know, you're going to have to use these more and more and eventually get some normal glasses. And I'm kind of excited about it because glasses are a great prop. You know, if I have as a pastor, you need props. And, you know, if I have an important point You know, I can go ahead and use these kind of as like a telestrator or something. So I'm excited about these glasses. Uh, You'll be seeing them more and more. We all know that sight is very important. Um, If I was to ask you, if you were going to have to lose one of your senses, which would you prefer to lose? And just about no one would say sight, because sight may be the most important of the senses, it's through, uh, it's the way in which we see the world. Now, you may not know this, but there are actually two types of sight. There's physical sight, and there's spiritual sight. See, with the physical sight we have, we can see the world. But it's only with spiritual sight that we can understand why it exists. With our physical sight, we can see and know that I am alive. But it's only with spiritual sight that we can understand what's my purpose for living. I can see my life with physical sight, but only with spiritual sight can I understand how I am supposed to live it. And most importantly, with my physical sight, I can look around creation and see the world and know that there is a God. But only with spiritual sight can I know God personally and be in a relationship with him. So spiritual sight is much more important than physical sight. It undergirds it. With spiritual sight, I can see God and know him. I can see the world correctly. I can see others the way I'm supposed to see them. And finally, I can see myself. Jesus shows in this passage that One can physically see and still be blind. Because if you don't have spiritual sight, you are blind. You are a prisoner of your sin, and you're cut off from a relationship with God. You are in darkness, and you will stumble through life, constantly bumping into things, hurting yourself and others, because you cannot truly see. Jesus has come into the world to restore our spiritual sight. That we may see and know God and see and know each other's each other and have meaning and purpose and significance. So in this passage, we see the contrast of two different people. A blind man who gains his physical and ultimately his spiritual sight. And these Pharisees who have physical sight but remain spiritually blind. I want us to see ourselves in one of these parties because we are one or the other. We either have spiritual sight or we don't. 
I want us to be able to understand if we can truly see. Because Jesus is the light of the world. If we follow him, we will never walk in darkness. So in order to spiritually see, we must take the path of the blind man. We must do three things. Number one, we must seek the light. Number two, we must proclaim who it is that we see. And then finally, we must worship what we know. So let's begin and walk on the path of this blind man as we, point number one, seek the light. The, Jesus and his disciples are passing by this man who's blind from birth, and his disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, they believed back then if somebody was born blind or lame or, or had some sort of physical malady like that, they were, they were under a curse. God had cursed them. There was something that their parents had done, something that was wrong about them, uh, and therefore uh, there was a cause for their blindness. Now think a little bit about that. If that was the message that everybody had, that was the message that this blind man had as well. I'm cursed by God. This has been placed on me by God. God hates me. He's plunged me into this darkness. This is part of God's purpose to give me this curse. But Jesus answers, it was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, this is a shock to the disciples. They think that he's useless, that God can't use him. But rather, Jesus is saying that this is part of God's plan so that the works of God would actually be displayed through his blindness. God has something that he wants to do in this man. Now, what does it mean, the works of God? We see this word work or works in the Old Testament. For instance, in Psalm 19:1, that the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So work there refers to God's creating the skies, creating nature. We know that after seven days of creating the world, God rested from his work, right? And what was his work? His work was a work of creation. It was of creativity. God is a creator, and so when he works, he creates Jesus said in John 4.34 that my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In other words, God is continuing to work. And in fact, God is doing a new work to finish creation. God is recreating that which was broken, namely mankind. And so what is Jesus' job? Why has Jesus come into the world to do the works of God. His job is to reveal the Father. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And this passage uh, that was just read a little while ago, that the, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because he has sent me to bring recovery of sight to the blind. Jesus said in verse 4 here, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. What Jesus is saying is that the time is now. The day has come. 
God is working and is working through me. As long as I am in the world, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He has brought the day and made it possible for the works of God to be done. In other words, now is the time for this work to be done in this man's life. And so Jesus wants to show to us physically what he intends to do spiritually. So in verse 6, having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. Now, I don't know if you've ever read this passage and wondered, what, what is Jesus doing here? What, 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 taking mud and putting it on somebody's eyes? I'm not exactly sure, but it makes me think about the time when, um, when God created man in the beginning. If you remember, he formed him from the dust of the earth, and he formed him up into a man, and he breathed on him. Jesus is taking the dust of the earth again, and he's placing it on this man's eyes. He's recreating them, if you will. And he says to this man, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, this was a test of faith for this man, for sure. He must have been tempted to doubt. Could God really, after all these years, care about me? I mean, I'm a nobody. I, I thought I was cursed by God. I wonder if there was a temptation to reach up his hands and just strip away this mud and forget about the whole thing. How far did he have to walk to get to this pool of Siloam anyways? And yet this blind man shows the works of God. He believes in his heart that Jesus can heal him can do a work in him, and he obeys. Can you see this blind man stumbling down the road, touching the side of the building as he walks slowly, uncertainly, but resolutely to the pool of Siloam? And he washes, and he sees. God reveals himself to him, and he knows that this is God's doing. See, this man thought he was alone, abandoned and hopeless, but God has entered his life. Why did Jesus choose this blind man to perform this miracle and send this message? I think it's because blind people are easier to lead, right? They're used to being led. They know that all is not well and that they are not right. They yearn for a better life. It's easier for them to leave the old life they have in order to enter a new one. It reminds me the story, uh, uh, reminds me of the story of this uh, wild, uncouth little creature, as she was called. At family meals, she wandered from plate to plate, grabbing handfuls of food. She cried for no reason, threw things slapped strangers in the face. Her family forgave her because, after all, she could not see or hear. I'm speaking of Helen Keller, of course. At 19 months of age, after a bout of illness, she lost her sight and her hearing, and all she knew from then on was darkness and silence. 
Keller recalled, I lived at sea in a dense fog. And then on March, on a March day, she would forever call my soul's birthday, her teacher, Ann Sullivan, arrived. The 20-year-old teacher gave the six-year-old girl a doll, but before the girl could hug it, the teacher took her hand and filled it with her own, forming strange shapes. The next two weeks were a war of wills. Tears, screams, broken dishes. Helen's parents could barely stand to watch. But Sullivan showed no pity. She kept spelling word after word in Keller's hand. Then one afternoon, just after Helen had smashed her doll, Sullivan trailed the wild child outside and both followed the smell of honeysuckle to the water pump. Water had been one of a dozen words the precocious toddler had spoken before her illness at 19 months. Now as she stood, one hand plunged in the flow, the other in Sullivan's as she spelled. Words failed to capture what happened next, though miracle comes to mind. Keller said, I stood still, my whole attention fixed upon the motions of her fingers. Suddenly, I felt a misty consciousness as of something forgotten, a thrill of returning thought, and somehow the mystery of language was revealed to me. I knew that W-A-T-E-R meant the wonderful, cool something that was flowing over my hand. The living word awakened my soul, gave it light, and set it free. A single word unsealed the cave and opened the world. And as the world knows, Helen Keller went on to a remarkable life. Sullivan stayed at her side until the time of her death. Sullivan reached into the darkness and brought Helen Keller into the light. You see, my friends, without spiritual sight, we cannot see God or know his love. Sin has plunged us into darkness. We can't find him. We can't approach him. We're lost. And you cannot know happiness or peace until you are reunited with your creator. But Jesus is the light of the world. He came to bring the love of God into the darkness of our hearts. He came near and put on flesh and reached into our lives and pulled us out. So how do we receive the light? Revelation begins with confession. We must each realize that we are blind and helpless. We must say that I am lost and I need to be found. We must become tired of the dark and stumbling around and reach our hand out for Jesus. For Jesus came to do a miracle in your heart. Are you willing? Submit to Christ. Let him heal you. As Helen submitted to her teacher, Anne, we must submit our lives to Christ. We must say to him, show me the way. You lead me, because Jesus is the light of the world. And Jesus will bring you out of the darkness, into the light. He will restore your spiritual sight. Jesus is the light of the world. 
And if you follow him, you will never walk in darkness. This brings me to my second point, that we must then proclaim who it is that we see. In verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, Yes, it's him. And others said, No, it isn't. But he kept saying, I am the man. It's interesting, right? The neighbors can't see the man. They can't see what God has done. It's inexplicable to them, even though this man continues to testify, I am the man. They say, how, how did it happen? And he says, the man called Jesus made mud and told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and I received my sight. He proclaims to them what Jesus has done in his life. Now, as we see, this is mentioning Jesus back then was dangerous, wasn't it? You would be cast out of the synagogue. You would be cast out of the temple. You could no longer participate in the religious life of the community. But this man can't help but tell the truth of what Jesus has done for him. I was blind, but now I see. And his testimony leads to even more opportunity. He's brought before the Pharisees, who are called the seers of Israel. And he testifies. And the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And he tells him. And then some of the Pharisees said, the man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. See, they were saying, because he's worked on the Sabbath, he can't be from God. But they don't understand that Jesus has come to finish the work of creation. And that involves recreating that which is broken. Jesus is Lord over the Sabbath. See, they can't see Jesus. They won't. Because they don't want to do the works of God. They want to reflect themselves. John 1.10 put it this way, that he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. You know, I think the only thing worse than being blind would be actually thinking that you're not. He brings, uh, uh, they bring in his parents who should be overjoyed at their son seeing, right? But instead, they're hesitant they're afraid. They don't want to give glory to God. They don't want to acknowledge what Jesus has done because they are blind. Well, they ask this man again, and the blind man proceeds to teach them. Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. If this man was not from God, he could not do anything. This man is actually wiser than the Pharisees. And why is that? Because he can see. He has spiritual sight, and spiritual sight brings wisdom. See, this man has an opportunity, and he takes it. He recognizes that his work is to proclaim Jesus, and the consequences don't matter. In the same way, my friends, if you are a Christian, 
God has opened your eyes and healed your heart that we may also proclaim him to others. Revelation brings proclamation. Jesus says of us, the church, in 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Every day we have an opportunity with someone to proclaim what we have seen. For you and I are a testament to God's grace. If you are a Christian, God has a work that he wants to display in you. Many of us know the story of Helen Keller, but few of us know the story of Ann Sullivan. Ann Sullivan's childhood was like a nightmare dreamed up by Charles Dickens. She was impoverished, beaten, neglected. She landed in a poorhouse where she watched her brother die. Sullivan contracted trachoma, an eye disease, which left her almost totally blind, unable to read or write. Her father left. Her mother died. She was alone. She was sent to Boston's Perkins School for the Blind, where teachers found her rude and defiant. Miss Spitfire, they called her. But there, Sullivan's life changed. Several teachers befriended her and poured into her, and she found self-esteem and purpose. She had a series of eye operations that significantly improved her vision. Now she was no longer in darkness. She could see. And by the end of her time at Perkins, she graduated valedictorian of her class. This was her speech to her fellow graduates. Duty bids us go forth into active life. Let us go cheerfully, hopefully, and earnestly, and set ourselves to find our special part. When we have found it, willingly and faithfully perform it. For every obstacle we overcome, every success we achieve, tends to bring man closer to God and make life more as he would have it. See, Sullivan knew what it was like to live in darkness, to live with no hope, to live without love. She had her sight restored and found love and purpose. So when she took her job as Helen's teacher, she could feel Helen's pain. And she was determined to bring light into Helen Keller's life too. Do you know Jesus Christ? Has he touched your eyes and your heart? Has he brought you from the darkness to the light? All of us have a message, if you are a Christian, a story to tell. To see him is to speak him. We all have a message to proclaim. It's who I am. It's what Christ has done in my life. See, we're all testifying to something in how we live, in who we give the credit to, in who we lift up. And for the Christian, our message is simply this. I was lost and I'm found. I was blind 
and now I see. So proclaim to the world what it is that you see. To whom is God calling you? Is it a neighbor? A friend? A co-worker? Like Ann Sullivan, we must go into their world. We must be willing to get close. We must reach into their pain and confusion and be willing to stick it out and earn the right to share the good news. Because Jesus is the light of the world. And whoever follows him will never walk in darkness. This brings me to my final point. We must worship who we know. It's very interesting how Jesus transforms this man. He works on his eyes and then moves into his mouth and finishes with his heart. Jesus went and found him, it says in verse 35. Isn't that neat? Jesus was interested in a relationship with this man. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Which is another way of saying the Son of God, the Divine One. And the man said, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have seen him and you're talking to him. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. His infant faith has passed into full conviction. In the beginning, in verse 11, he simply knew him as the man that is called Jesus. In verse 17, he called him a prophet. In verse 33, he said that he was of God. And finally, he believes and knows that he is the Christ. Jesus revealed himself to this man. And what was this man's response? Praising Jesus and bowing at his feet. Why? Because he has found the object worthy of all of his affection. We too, my friends, are worshiping beings. We were designed and built to worship something, and we will. And all too often, we give our hearts to things that are not worthy of our lives. Jesus is the only one worthy of your heart. He is the Christ. Helen Keller was 10 when she was introduced to a famous Christian preacher from Boston named Phillips Brooks, who had become a lifelong friend of Keller's. They sat knee to knee, and Brooks began to tell Helen through Anne about the gospel of Jesus. Suddenly, Helen jumped up and muttered out, I knew him. I knew him. I just didn't know his name. Helen knew there was a God, but she just didn't know his name until then. My friends, we know his name. It's Jesus. To see the light is to worship him. What I say to God is far more important than what I say to others about God. We have found the proper object of our worship, worthy of all our affection and devotion. And so, like this man, let us place Jesus on the throne of our hearts. If you are a Christian and he has rescued you from darkness, if you know his name, then let us worship him. 
in church together, during the day as we go about our business, in the morning when we wake up, and in the evening before we go to bed, with songs, with words, with actions, and with gladness in our hearts. For we have found the one who rescued us and brought us from darkness to light. Jesus is the light of the world. And if you follow him, you will never walk in darkness. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you came into our world and you came into our hearts and you gave us spiritual sight that we may know that you love us and that your grace is what we need. God, help us to worship you and to proclaim you to an unbelieving world um, because we know uh, and have seen the light. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.